welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Awesome. Oh, I just hope I haven't forgotten how to preach. I've been sitting in church just watching it. It's a lot easier at that end, isn't it? <laughs> oh, he's such a funny guy. Oh, and that's why we have him. Oh, Martin, you're so clever. Did you hear that? I said, it's a lot easier. And he said, not necessarily. In other words, yes, well, if the preaching's not very good, it's really hard going. Well, I'll... I'll try and alleviate your pain as best I can, Martin. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, gee. (laughs) Okay, come on. Look, this month is Vision Builders Month, and I'm going to preach a series on building the house of God. Because, well, today's Pentecost Sunday, which, as you know, marks the day the New Testament house of God began. The Holy Spirit came, birthed the Church of Jesus with power from heaven, and for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church, just as he promised. All shapes and sizes, in all different cultures and countries, in all different eras and ethnicities, uh, you know, the church of Jesus is strong and wonderful, and the answer and hope for all the world's problems. And, uh, And Jesus has been creating and building places for people to meet with God and, and to meet with others who feel the same way and feel the same call to connect with God, to worship God, to follow God, to serve the Lord. And, and God has always wanted this. So even before the church of the New Testament, the house of God was a concept that people in the Old Testament were very familiar with. Again, a place where the God of heaven would come and meet with people here on earth. People who wanted to worship him and experience his glory, his presence, his blessing and his direction on their lives. And, uh, and if you look in the Old Testament, you see three main phases uh, of the house of God where the tabernacle was first of all um, built by Moses uh, or under Moses' directions and leadership and we'll look at that today. Uh, and then you have the, the stage uh, where the temple was built in Jerusalem. David felt the call. His son, King Solomon, completed it. And then later on, after the exile and the captivity, uh, the returning captives back to the promised land rebuilt the temple in a n- number of different stages and, and ways. And we'll look at the, each of those over the next three weeks. But one common denominator through all the ages of uh, different stages in the Old Testament of the house of God and right through to today uh, is the amazing fact that God has always invited, encouraged and, and included people to be involved in what he wants to build, which we take for granted, but stop for a second because a lot of things God does completely on his own. You know, the Old Testament, you've got pillar of fire and smoke and water parting and miracles and you know, there's nothing people really you know hold up your staff and hit the rock but even in the new testament we've got jesus doing miracles they're, they're god-given 
changes to the natural environment. It's wonderful. It's all from him. It's all grace. And he could also have easily just said, oh, here, Moses, you guys are traveling for a while. I've got some lessons to teach you. You're a bit slow, so it's going to take 40 years. So while you're in the desert, there's a tent. And angels could have just given him a tent. Oh, and, you know, the Lord spake and unto them the tent was given. And you would read, there it was. And there the tent was carried around. And then he could also have easily just, ta-da, in Jerusalem, this wonderful, glorious temple provided miraculously for the people to come and worship it. And then now in the New Testament, Jesus could easily have just put churches all over the world for us to just walk in and attempt to fill. He doesn't. He's always got people involved uh, in his plans, which of course makes sense because as you know, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God knows that if you contribute financially to something, you're going to be interested in it. Your heart is going to follow that. If you go out and buy some shares in a particular company, you're going to wonder what happens to that company. You're going to start reading the financial pages. You'll notice the business reports if they say this company's gone up or down because your treasure's there. And, uh, and so God knows that uh, when people give personally and sacrificially there's going to be a heartfelt connection with the house of God and so that's why he's always had us as his people connected and actively involved in what he wants to build as a place of worship so let's go back and see what we can learn from the old testament about the house of God and about how people worshiped him lessons that we can apply to us uh, today so we'll look at Moses and the tabernacle When you read the book of Exodus, you know this is the story of the Exodus, the people exiting, leaving Egypt, and they're on their way back to the promised land. As I said, it takes them 40 years wandering in the desert. Um, And Moses is the great leader, called by God, trained by God, and he gives them the commandments, uh, you know, from God to follow, and he, he leads them in constructing the tabernacle, which is this portable meeting place a tent with all this furniture, and they needed it because even though they were nomadic for all these years in the desert, there it is again, God wanting them to have a definable place of worship, a place where they can meet with God. And when you read through Exodus, there's 40 chapters in Exodus, and you notice that 13 of them are all about uh, the tabernacle, the commandments about how it's going to be built, the records of the offerings that were brought to build it, and then details of the of the construction work, which is about a third of that book. So it just shows the importance uh, to God of this concept and this meeting place. So let's look at a few verses. Exodus 25, and hopefully Kath has them on the screen, but if not, you can just flick around. You don't hear pages a lot these days, but you can just get off Facebook for a moment and get into your Bible app. Uh, Exodus 25, verse 1 to 2 says, The Lord said to Moses... Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Notice that phrase, whose heart is moved. More on that later. And then when you read through that chapter, it outlines the kinds of offerings that are acceptable. And then in the following chapters, uh, God gives detailed plans about how the tabernacle and all the furniture should be built. And then in chapter 35, this is reiterated. 
um, verses 4 and 5 of Exodus 35 says this, Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord, gold, silver, bronze, and it goes on and lists again the kinds of offerings that God is calling for. Notice again that phrase, generous hearts. Uh, It also includes uh, gifts in kind. The list says people who have got particular talents can use them to construct the tabernacle and the furniture. Um, And then we read in Exodus 35 from verse 20 to verse 29, here's the response. It says, So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. Notice, whole community. All whose hearts were stirred, again that phrase, and whose spirits were moved, came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals, and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, necklaces, So notice there's personal sacrifice here. It's not just leftovers. This is their jewellery. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to the Lord. All those who owned the following items willingly brought them. Blue, purple, scarlet thread. Fine linen and... Now, you know blue, purple, scarlet. These were very expensive because there was this weird little mollusk that can only be found in some parts of the world at the time and they'd have to squeeze four million of these little creatures to get a tiny bit of okay, I exaggerate not four million but you can do the research and find out is this amazing little essence that came from this little weird mollusk creature and it was incredibly expensive to get and that was the only way they had the the good rich purple colors so that's why purple's a sign of royalty and why whenever they took about purple thread it was like wow that was really expensive to produce um, those who had acacia wood also brought it in for use in the project All the women, verse 25, uh, all the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple and scarlet thread. Now look, that's not sexist. I went into Spotlight the other day and this is a liberated age where men and women can do whatever they like. I've never seen another man in Spotlight. I know Simon, now, now, I know Simon... If you don't know this already, I can hardly remind myself of this story without losing the plot. But Simon, this guy, the bearded, tough country guy, if you don't know him, you've got to meet him. Here's some of his stories. Big country, all the wild stuff that country guys get up to. But when he was going through uni... When he was going through university, he had a part-time job. And you'll do anything to get through uni and he got a part-time job. And he worked... And he worked in Spotlight, but not just on the front counter. The lace, the lace department at Spotlight is just too good. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, just honestly. I'm, I'm, I mean, look, I did acting. I cannot laugh. I can do it. I've been on stage. Oh, but that, 
Okay, right on, honestly. Back to the Bible. So, okay, men could have done it, but let's face it, it tends to be women who are crafty and like lace. (laughs) So all the women who are skilled in sewing (laughs) and spinning (laughs) prepared all that fine cloth, all the women who were willing to use their skills to spin gold, goat hair into yarn, the leaders brought onyx stones and the special gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense. So the people of Israel, listen, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work of the Lord had given them through Moses brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. One more passage. Next chapter, Exodus 36, we finally read this. Incredible result, verse 2 to verse 7. So Moses summoned these guys who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. He gave them materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough. Everyone say, more than enough. Enough materials to bring the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. Well, that hasn't been spoken of many times in church history. The people stopped bringing their sacred offerings and their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. It's there though. It's a pattern to follow. It's possible. It's incredible. To say that they responded well to the call is an understatement. So, you know, the Israelites didn't always get it right. When we read the Old Testament, we can, alert, we can learn a lot about what not to do. But here, this is exemplary, right? This is worthy of us looking at and applying to our lives, how they gave. I want to note five things about how they brought their offerings to God in terms of the house of God that we can learn from. The first one is that they gave voluntarily. So write this down if you're taking notes. It was voluntary. Now, they were called, they were commanded to give, but nowhere does it say how much everyone had to give. And this is God's heart, to let our hearts be stirred and to give us our own free will, which he's already done, but he wants us to use our our own free will in this respect. So he's got a call on his people to to tithe, to give, to to worship him with, with our finances. But at the same time, his will is that we exercise our will in how we go about that so that there's no pressure. There shouldn't be any demand on us. And, and so that it's, it's heartfelt and exciting for people to be involved in what God's doing and what God's building. And this has always been our heart in our church. Uh, because when we've received tithes and offerings for different things, over the years, I've often quoted from Second Corinthians uh, 9, which, you know, you may know, verse 7 says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And we feel that heartbeat and we always want people to catch that. We hate the idea that people would ever feel any pressure. And, of course, the media will pick up on that and always put plant, you know, plant something in your brain. Oh, church only needs your money. Whereas every other institution is involved in money and people don't seem to have a problem with it. You know? So what's going on there? Oh, the church should just survive on air. You know, well, that's weird. You wouldn't go to a restaurant, eat a meal and just walk out. You know, you sort of, so we use money in the world and then we come to church and something all chokes up and we think, oh, I don't want to talk about money. That's, you know, just the enemy trying to stop God's people from feeling free and right about it. And here we see, this is voluntary. In verse 20, in fact, you see something that reinforces the voluntary aspect of Israel's gifts because it says Moses dismisses the people and they go back to their tents. Then later, it says they come back with their offerings to the Lord, which is really cool. So they weren't pressured to make an on-the-spot commitment. There was no pledge or response obtained under some kind of emotional or psychological duress. It was free. The call is there, go and figure it out, and then come back. And it says, and those whose hearts were moved, they came back. And so again, with us, with our vision builders, like the brochure you've got there and the talk we have this month, we want everyone to go away, think, pray, decide in your own time, in your own way, what you should and will give. Amen? Secondly, notice that these people gave willingly and joyfully. Now, again, God instructed Moses to collect an offering, but he said, from whoever is of a willing heart. And when you read chapter 35, there's like four, five, six different references to that word in the Hebrew. It's the same phrase, willing heart, or it might be translated an eager heart. And, um, and so this is because giving to God is an issue of the heart. It's not just about the actual monetary figures. Uh, and it's important that our heart is in it. The, the pattern provided here is that these people gladly gave their gifts. They were excited about it. They were happy to stretch, to make sacrifices. You can see personal items of jewellery were sacrificed uh, because they could see the big picture. They realised this is exciting. Man, we are involved in what God himself is doing. There's no greater undertaking for all our pursuits. Some of them are, you know maybe got visions for their future house in the home of Canaan, in the promised land. And they're drawing up their plans and sketching things in the dust and saying, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to have these vineyards and that building over there and all that. But that all sort of fades with, in importance when you catch a picture of what God is doing. And, and, and you know, the Bible tells us, you know, build the house of God and... and Seek first his kingdom and prioritize his ways and then things flow, fall into place as a result. And so that's what these people were catching a hold of. Because, um, you know, when your heart's in the right place, making a sacrifice is not a problem. It's a good thing. It's, it's enjoyable. It's a delight. You, it could be, um, you know, you want to get a really good gift for a friend or a loved one. And you work hard. You go searching, maybe on the internet or old school, trudging around the place. And then you find it, and it's more expensive than you might have expected. But you go for it, and you, there's a delight. You think, well, come on, they're worth it. And you, and you buy that, and you think, well, that's like, you know, hundreds of dollars. I thought it might have been this much. And you, but you, you go, for, and there's a delight. Or maybe you have uh, someone over for a dinner party for their birthday. 
And you don't want to give them the cheap mince meat. You don't go to the butcher and go, oh, we'll just do spag bog, you know, and we'll have, what's the cheapest mince? You know, no, you, you go and buy the, Frosty, what's the most expensive meat that I always forget the name of? You know, the, 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 the yeah, you get Wagyu or the, the eye fillet or you get the eye fillet. And the eye fillet is not the one that you get the long one then you chop them up. Yeah, and it's expensive, but, but you do it. And, and, uh, and, and you bless them, you know, and, and you love it. Uh, and, uh, and that's why we have people like Frosty doing barbecues for the men's footy nights and stuff because you get good barbecue. We don't give it the job to someone who's cheap and tight and got no idea. And people go, oh, flip, oh, gristled meat. For the, yeah, yeah. No. And Frosty, half the time you can't pay him. You say, oh, how much is it getting? And we all contribute. And a lot of the time it's like, no, 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 it's all good. And you get a suck up to the frosts over here. Get an invite over for true. It's worth. Oh, he's got another date for the footy. But I mean, just a normal, like a non-footy night. Just go. Oh, I'm really hungry. Yeah, you're. You're really. Not. He loves to cook, and they, and good quality. The, like I said, the eye fill all that. And so, but you won't hear him complain. You won't go. Oh, yeah, I'm spending a lot of money on this. Here's your steak. I hope you enjoy. It. You know, you know, people who sacrifice with their heart in it. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It just feels exciting. It is technically a sacrifice. It costs you a lot of money. You can look up the figures and you think, well, that birthday... I mean, have children... What about... Come on, parents. Have kids. How many... Every single Christmas, we said, right out this year, we're not going to spend too much on the kids because I totaled it up last year and it was just frightening. So this year, we're just... One big present and a couple of little ones, okay? That'll, every, that's it. And every year, honestly, the whole page of... And then, because you get... Oh, but there's one more thing. And you go, what did you buy? I bought... Oh, because, you know, I think the girls would really like it. And wow, that was Ruth, not me. Uh, oh, yeah, I bought this for the boys. My boys had a car racing set when they were like babies, you know, because cause I wanted one. I mean, I wanted them to, you know, and so... But, you know, and then, and then you get one more for that one, and then you think, oh, I've got to even it out now. So you hunt around. And you, but it's good, you know. It's a great thing when you, 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 you sacrifice and your heart's in it. And so the same too for the house of God, amen? Um, third thing is they gave generously. The enthusiasm they had is evident in the abundance of their gifts. Um, and as you know, I can't believe it, we're told the gifts exceeded the need. Moses had to say, Please tell them to stop giving. We have more than enough. So that's awesome. Uh, but again, it's not just quantity, it's quality. They were giving their best. And again, this is God's will. His house is to be a place where excellence is evident. I loved Pastor Phil when we were in the church down in Sydney for years. He used to say, don't bring me your cheap coffee cups. You, no, you're you chipped you know, they, they, don't, bring, don't give your church your chipped coffee cups or the lounge that's stained and no one wants and you just dump it and think, oh, the church will have it. He, no, 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 the house of God. We want the best. And, uh, and, you know, that's always been God's heart to have, you know, house proud like we would have in our own homes, the sense for God's house too. To, um, and it flows, and it flows not just in terms of money, but but in the sense of um, maintenance of a property, and uh, you know, being on a team and serving and building the next generation. All those rooms. If you're not a parent, 
um, you can still be involved in children's ministry. You know, you, you, I go around sometimes when I'm not preaching and I visit. It's just awesome. And, and so that's building the house of God. And, and, of course, there's the practical maintenance and cleaning and all that kind of stuff. And so many of us spent seven years fighting, I mean, working with the council, uh, you know, raising the money, cleaning, the number of things we removed from this property when we first found it. We thought we'd find a dead body. There was so much stuff left over. Honestly, it was. It was an old hostel. For, they'd left... It was, like, it was like one of those movies, you know, where Will Smith's walking around and the whole world's died of the plague or something. Everyone had just left. You, got, who's, you remember? We'd walk... We'd open the door. That room there, that was full of pot plants... It was dark, had been for years, it was derelict, been left for 15 years. The pot plants weren't alive, right? They, but it, it was like the day of the Triffids. You walk in there and, and then there was another room just full of oh, bedpans and it just, honestly. It was, so we've had a lot of work just to make this place presentable. And then there's the maintenance. And so, you know, it's, and so it's not too late. If you weren't around for the last seven years... There's plenty to be done. There's it's ongoing stuff. We've got green teams for lawns and maintenance and all kinds of stuff. And so all that is giving in kind like these guys were doing as well. Not just money, but heartfelt time and talents. Number four, they gave proportionately. Fourth thing about their giving. Uh, because uh, everyone gave something, uh, but each gave in accordance with what they could do. Uh, it says there were men who could give acacia wood, skilled women using their skills with spinning, rulers with uh, more resources brought precious stones, fine oils, fragrances. See, so there were some people that were better off than others. And of course, again, God's will is an issue of the heart, not just the amount, but the heart. And, uh, you know, in the same church, you can have someone that gives $100 and someone gives $100,000. And it's both God's will. Because you could have a little kid who says, Dad, I want to contribute $2 a week out of my pocket money. I want to build the church. And uh, we always told our kids about, you know, this kind of stuff. And, and that over, if my math serves me correctly, what you'll find it adds up to $104. You have two weeks off. And, um, and then you can have a business person that says, hundred grand. It's a stretch, but, and it's the same sacrifice. In fact, I know of a business person who uh, joined a... It's a funny story. I, I have a friend who's a pastor, and he was going through a tough time, because I don't know if you realise that sometimes pastors huh, have tough times. And then they go on long service leave, and they come back, and they're awesome and perfect, and then they never say anything bad, and they just love people perfectly, and you all feel happy forever. Um, but this guy's doing a really tough time, and there was another church that had started not far away from his church, and he had had some of his people leave his church to go to the other church. Anyway, this business person came from one city to his city and felt called to go to his church. So they rock up, and he hadn't had any visitors in his church for a while. They rock up on a Sunday morning, and they go and meet him. And they say, oh, hello, we, you're the pastor? Yeah. And they said, oh, we're here, we're here to join your church. And he says, no, you're thinking of the church down the road. And they go, no, 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 we've heard about your church. And he argued with them. He said, no, no, it won't be this church. You, you'll be thinking of that one, the one that started down the road. And, you know. and they had to say, 
well, thanks for the welcome, but, you know, no, we've heard from God, we're coming to this church. All right, then, you know. <laughs> the next week, they put $100,000 in the offering. This is a church of about 30 people. And uh, he noticed them after that, and he made them feel very welcome. But, you know, that, that shifted things. You know, money speaks. It's a good tool. You know, it's, it's, there are more important things than money, and we engage with the Lord, free spiritual, you know, relationships, or money can't buy happiness, all that kind of stuff. But money's still kind of useful and powerful. It lifted the guy, and he thought, flip, God's obviously believing in me even when I don't and the church here, and so that was a deposit that helped them buy a church, that had been a church. It was an old congregational church that had been left sitting in the burbs and uh, couldn't be converted into a house very easily, and it was only about, I can't remember, two or $300,000, and they had, maybe it was three hundred, but they had a third of the money, bam, and then with the offerings, they were able to buy the church. And the other church that he was worried about ended up fizzling off and um, it didn't affect his church in the long run anyway. But, um, you know, that just goes to show that you can, uh, I mean, I, every pastor longs for that kind of thing to happen, you know, in their church. So today, if you happen to have, just check your wallet and see if you've got a spare hundred grand in there. Um, but you hear what I'm saying, there is, uh, there's different giving level amount figures, uh, but everyone with a different heart, with the same, you know, heart involved. Fifthly, finally, uh, these people, they all gave collectively. Look, every individual was free to give or not to give, but the text suggests that there were very few, if anyone, who refused to take part in this contribution. They all joined together to give. Uh, And, you know, most things in life are much more rewarding when you're together, when you're with others, when you're doing it as a team. Of course, we're all individuals. It's important for us to have some solitude and some individual pursuits, and you've got to different journey to every other individual and all that. But when it comes to doing most things in life, better together. Uh, I mean, just the last few days of my time off this month, I spent motorbike riding up the coast with some friends. And, you know, men are annoying, they're obnoxious, they're loud, they're stubborn, everyone's got their own idea of what to do and where to go and how they want it done and Oh, and they're smelly and they burp and they, you know, and it's like, oh, flip. You know, I could easily just ride off on my own and stay in a pub that isn't stinky. One of the guys chose a pub that oh, was unbelievable. You know, one, one guy took a photo of about 50 OH&S issues. You know, there's smoke alarms, a carpet with every room. We said, oh, no, every room's themed. Every room's themed differently. Because I basically had different old carpet in every room and just disgusting, you know, and it's like, who booked this? Why are we... Ah. But it's still better to do it together. Oh, and of course, they don't cuddle as nicely, you know. They're not as nice to cuddle up to um, as my wife. And so, of course, that's why, you know, you have a home and a life and a wife. And it's a, but it's still better to put up with these smelly, noisy blokes than just riding off on my own because there's fellowship. There's some sense of camaraderie. It's safer if something goes wrong. You can laugh about the silly things that might scare you on your own, but, ah, that wallaby nearly wiped me out. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, it's, you know, it's just better. And, and it's true in life. Don't isolate yourself and 
withdraw, even when it's awkward and iron sharpening iron, you know, it's better to be in with a family, a church, a community, uh, you know, a group of people, a team, building and giving together. And that's what these guys did. So you read in this book the contributions that we've talked about. Later on you read more about the construction. And then finally, at the end of the book of Exodus, you read about the consecration of the tabernacle. And let me read that for you in Exodus 40. Um, No, five points finished, got to five. Thanks, Joe, for interrupting. Martin, look after your wife, please. Uh, Read Ephesians 5 to us. Submit to your husbands. Exodus 40, uh, verse 33 to 38 It says, they hung the curtains forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. He set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard and at last Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey, following it. And if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. And this continued throughout all their journeys. There's the glory of God. And that's the highest calling anyone can attain to and follow and feel in their life to bring glory to God and to see his glory in their lives and in their midst. And that's what we're involved in in the New Testament. Same principle applies. Let me just leave you with one final thought. These guys, at that point, incredible response, great giving, motivation was high. They were really pumped. It was very exciting. Sadly, though, as you know, when you read about the Israelites, uh, there were ups and downs. At one point, they grew so impatient, they designed another god. They thought, oh, we'll just have a golden calf. You know, what are you, you know? And so, in fact, you read the book of Hebrews, and it says they heard the word of God, and it it didn't benefit them because they didn't mix it with faith. And so there's some lessons, like I said before, we can learn what not to do from them. So what we've got to be careful here is that we're not just sporadically excited like they were. We're not just inconsistent with our giving and excitement, a moment of, oh, great, yeah, oh, well, I thought about that six months ago, but not now, you know. So there's, there's something about being excited, which is great, but we don't rely just on feelings. To build over time, we need faithfulness. We need an appreciation for the long term. And uh, we can maintain our commitment not just with feelings, but with faith. And so let's not be fickle, but faithful and strong and stable in our giving and in our love and our faithfulness to the Lord. Amen? Praise Him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.